Welcome to 100 Centuries. Why 100 Centuries, you ask? Well, why 100 Centuries, Stephen? Because <laughs> it covers all of human history, and then some. Hooray! Hooray. Hooray, and today we are talking about the history of bathing, or more specifically, Western cultures, at least. I, I only have... Western traditions. Um, yeah, I know a few stuff about some of the Eastern stuff, but not really enough to, to talk about. Yeah. It. So, sorry, all those a- listeners of our in, in Asia. Um, this is going to be very Eurocentric. Yeah, perhaps it's at a later time we could talk about non-Western bathing traditions, which probably are interesting enough to warrant an entire episode all to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but today we're going to talk about Western bathing, or not bathing, yes. or or whatever general sort rituals of people took to clean themselves. Because clean. People like to be, or for most part, civilized society likes it when people are clean and not stinky. Um, for the most part, <laughs> yeah, for the most part. So Stephen is going to start this, um, taking us um, through ancient bathing and yes. cleaning, practices. ancient world. So. Uh, yeah, um, as we all know, probably have heard or probably read somewhere that um, you know, there were certain ancient uh, customs, specifically the Romans, who, who had baths and all, on all that sort of stuff. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, there are traditions in a lot of these bathing cultures, uh, or a lot of these cultures involving bathing, actually stem back even further, further back than the Romans. And kind of each of the ancient Mediterranean civilizations kind of had their own take on it. Um, part of it was ritualistic. Um, for example, in, in um, a lot of these cultures, you would bathe before you go into the temple. Uh, you had to ritually cleanse yourself. Uh, otherwise, you would pollute the temple, and therefore, um, that would be bad. That would be an insult to your gods, or if you're Jewish, your god. Um, uh, but also, too, bathing um, with a lot of these ancient cultures, especially in places like Egypt, and Sumeria, and in even even necessarily in ancient Greece, bathing and beauty were very much linked. Um, in so much that people who bathed regularly, that is, people who smelled good, were generally considered to be more attractive. A classic example of this is actually Cleopatra. Um, now, she's more late on the ancient spectrum than we, than we like to think about. Um, but, you know, she was always described as being incredibly beautiful, well, the thing was, remember, she was also, by the time, you know, Mark Antony, all that, she would have also been in her 40s or 50s. So any youthful beauty she had would have been long gone by then. Um, and the reason why she was still considered beautiful was not because she was pretty. I mean, she was probably an attractive woman back then. Um, but more so because she smelled good. She bathed regularly. Okay? Um, the bathing process in some of these ancient cultures, too, um, it's a lot different than we think about today. Now, I'm going to talk about stuff uh, pre-Roman first, because Romans really took bathing to a whole new level. Um, but a lot of ancient ancient bathing cultures, um, bathing very much differed. Uh, and in some ways, it was a social activity, but in some ways, it was more personal than that. It was more of a beauty regimen. Um, for example, a lot of bathing in ancient cultures... Um, really was more of just washing grime off your hands and then anointing yourself with some sort of heavy perfumed oil. Uh, so, for example, they didn't really have soap in the traditional sense that we have today. Um, instead, they would take a, a perfumed, 
perfumed oil and they would just kind of rub it all over themselves. Um, and they would either do this, if you were wealthy enough, you'd just do this in your house or on your own. If you were poor um, or not necessarily in the elite, you might uh, you might do this uh, at a, at a you know, kind of government or city-sanctioned uh, bathing location. Uh, for example, famous ones include the gymnasium in ancient Greek cities, which was a place not only did you work out at, um, we like to think of gymnasiums as being you know places where you pump iron, but it was also a place where you got yourself cleaned. In fact, the, uh, the, the gym in gymnasium actually means nude. It's the place you're nude in, basically. Um, and so you've got that sort of idea. Um, a lot of it, too, remember, stems back to the fact that in some of these places, water was actually a precious commodity. Um, it, it was seen as being something that you didn't want to waste. So, therefore, the idea of full immersion in baths and whatnot um, was, was very novel. Um, people, if they wanted to bathe that way, they would go down to the river and actually throw themselves in, essentially. Um, and hence why baptism became such a big deal. It's the, it's the ritualistic cleaning of yourself, getting rid, you know, of any of your sins and whatnot, but actual washing at the same time. Um, cleanliness is godliness, so to speak. Okay. Um, so a lot of these ancient cultures, um, that was your, your regimen of bathing. Now you had other regiments as well. Um, we like to think of, of the ancient world as being one where, where people were a little bit hairier than these days. Um, but that's not necessarily true. Razors did exist, and shaving came in and out of vogue depending on cultural norms. Um, some places, for example, in ancient Greece, um, you, know, you would trim your beard but not shave it. You know, having a beard was a sign that you were a man, and being clean-shaven made you look juvenile and therefore still a boy. But there's plenty of other places where they would want to completely have their face clean. I bring up Egypt as another example. In Egypt, the norm was to actually be completely clean-shaven. That is, all hair on your body, both the one on your ha top of your head and all your pubic hair. That's all considered <laughs> no ha uh, the hair not on the top right. of your head. So, yes, pubic hair being yeah. what, we, but what also we call like it today. Eyebrows and... But eyebrows and armpits and things like that. Um, basically, uh, you had to be hairless in order to be, you know, essentially clean. Um, and that's something that, that seems to be um, endemic of their culture. So, it's things like that. Um, also in the beauty regiment, too, was actually teeth cleaning. We like to think that people, you know, you know, that teeth brushing is a rather modern invention, but it actually goes back into ancient times as well. Um, I keep bringing up the Egyptians because we know a lot about their customs. Um, they would essentially brush their teeth with a paste made of uh, basically sand, uh, pumice type materials, and essentially a thick resin that they would get from local plants. Um and that would scrub scrub their teeth fairly clean. Um, probably not the most enjoyable stuff to stick in your mouth, but it did the trick. Um, Greeks themselves would also take some sort of stigilis and cut, uh, cut or scrape the grime off their teeth. And so these were kind of some of the more ancient bathing, um, bathing dash clean, cleansing, uh, cleansing, cleansing, uh, <laughs> sorry, cleansing. excuse me, um, type activities. Now, I keep mentioning places like Egypt and Greece and whatnot. I'm leaving off the Romans because the Romans really took this to a whole new level. Rome was absolutely obsessed with bathing um, to the point that they essentially built themselves giant ornate baths, okay, um, that they would uh, that they would go to to basically bathe in on a daily basis. A lot of these other cultures, bathing you would do more kind of on a weekly basis. It was something you do maybe once a week, you know, depending on your your income level. 
to you know clean yourself up. In Rome, it was an everyday activity for everybody, be they slave, be they rich senator, be they woman, child, you name it. You took a bath daily. It was something intrinsic. You you basically would either get up in the morning, do it, get off of work in the afternoon, go do it. But at some point during the day, you went and took a bath. Roman bathing was a whole new level of, of baths. They, for one, did do full move, uh, actually draw bath water and, and jump jump on in. Um, the standard baths themselves had basically three different uh, different kind of bathing chambers, if you will. A hot room, generally referred to as a calderium, a, um, a temperate room, whose name I forget at the moment. Um, it'll come to me in a little bit. And then at the end of that, um, when you're done with your bath and, and ready to be to be finished, um, you would take the cold plunge in the frigidarium, which was a, a, a basically a very cold pool that you you uh, you did to uh, finish off your bath. Now you didn't just go and just jump in these pools willy nilly and start swimming around. Um, no, no, no. Bathing was an entire ritual. You basically go into a locker room first, like you would do today. Okay, take off your clothes and oil yourself down. Um, again. Soap was not really a thing back then. Instead, you would use oils. And in Roman times, you would basically take oil and you'd rub yourself down with it, okay? Then, as the next thing they would do is a, a public slave, a guy who was worked at the bath, his only job was this, would take this long, curved metal rod-type thing. Not really a blade. It was, it was called a, a stigil, or stig, I'm not saying the word right. And they would basically scrape all the oil off of you. And this did two things. One, it would scrape all the dirt off of you. It would also exfoliate your skin as well. Basically means you would you would get cleaned from head to toe in a very, very strict manner. Then you would go into your, your you would take your hot bath, and your temperate bath. Then if you wanted to, you could go work out. Um, Roman baths also included uh, places where you could, you could work out and, and take part of those activities. If you wanted to, you know, eat some food, Roman baths would have had uh, food amenities as well. It was basically a place where you could socialize and, and do lots of other little tasks. Basically a place to go relax. Think of it like a modern day spa. Then, when you were done, you take your cold plunge, get dressed again, and go about your business. And you did this every single day. Very, you know, very, very clean. Romans built a huge bathing complex. There's the Baths of Caracalla, a big one in Rome. Um, they had resort towns dedicated to bathing. A classic example of this would be actually be the town of Bath in England, um, which you could still go to today and see the ancient uh, ancient uh, Roman baths. So they really, really took their bathing seriously. Uh, Romans, too, could, would do things like you could get, you know, they would trim hair in the baths, they would do things like that. They had slightly different customs when it came to things like brushing teeth. Don't worry, it's, it's a little on the nasty side. Um... Instead of using like a toothpaste, like uh, the Egyptians did, um, they would actually collect urine and use that because the urine would not only clean the teeth, as disgusting as it sounds to us today, it will actually clean your teeth. Um, it also helped to bleach them white. So again, all part of the bathing ritual um, that would be included. Um, Roman baths basically stuck around for a long time. In fact, many of the type of day spa type places or baths that you see around the world today, kind of have their roots in there. Um, if you've ever gone to a Turkish bathhouse, for example, um, you could kind of trace the advent of those all the way back to the ancient Romans. 
um, who would have imported that style of bathing to places like Constantinople, now day modern Istanbul, um, and to their um, the places they conquered around Europe. Okay, they really, really, really like to take a bath. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that's ancient that's baths. really ancient ancient baths, and that would take you through to basically the fall of Rome. Yep, and I'm going to pick it up from there and talk about medieval bathing, and then talk about. Tudor bathing and not bathing, and, and then bathing. bathing comes back again. Um, <laughs> yes, thank goodness. Um, now, it's kind of a common misconception that the medieval period was really dirty and stinky, and people like to 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 quote this like myth of the yearly bath, and in June everyone took their yearly bath. Well, that's not true at all. No, medieval people were were much more into bathing than that. They. You know, unlike it's unlikely that most of them, I'm sure somebody did, but that most of them would have bathed every day. But communal baths were still a thing in medieval Europe. And um while it wasn't as frequent as today's baths, you know, they they were getting a bath. Um, they were probably fairly hygienic. They still had group bathing. Men and women were together, just like some very Nordic style spas mm-hmm. today. And the way it wasn't a medieval bath was they had um, spices in the water to make it smell sweet. They had steam tents so you could get kind of a sauna effect. Some sources would describe this as now medieval bathing because there was men and women together. You know, most of the time it was just about taking a bath. Some of the time it was about taking a bath and a little bit of extra on the side. <laughs> it was a place to meet somebody interesting. And maybe have interesting things happen. And in lots of medieval literature, bathing has sexual overtones. And being offered a bath um, has some implications in there. That something naughty is going to go down or something naughty is going to be attempted. But a lot of times it really was about being clean. Um, even monasteries um, were really into bathing. Though they tended towards cold baths and not the hot, passionate baths. And knights, even bathing was often ceremonial, and knights would, would take baths at, before certain ceremonies or before being knighted. So it would be nice herbs, flowers, rose petals. Um, there's even an order of knighthood called the Order of the Bath, <laughs> which is, is kind of a, akin to the Order of the Garter. Um, knights also took medicinal baths because they would go out and they would get hurt and they would um, need something to kind of soak. So they'd have soothing baths. Um, so bats were really still pretty going, going pretty strong until about the Tudor period. Now, they weren't completely disappeared. Henry VIII had his own you know, indoor plumbing bathroom set up. Um, basically, the way it worked is there was a series of pipes even going under the River Thames, and they used gravity to get the water pressure up there. So if you're going to go to all that trouble, you probably aren't taking your bath once a year. Nevertheless, the the bathhouses, which were also called stews, as probably as a result of their close association with prostitution, whether or not that was completely fully merited, were closed by Henry VIII in, in 1546. He closed them. This did not stop prostitution from happening, which still happened, and was still the... the um, Brothels were still called stews, but this sort of was the herald of, of 
a couple of centuries of stink, where bathing became less and less popular, and it became you know, washing your whole self and not just your hands and face, because they always wash their hands and face. But it became sort of a weird thing to do, an unhealthy thing even to do. Mm-hmm. That's what they thought. If you, unless you were sick and you needed a medicinal bath. And there are a couple of reasons why this could have happened. Part of this is a concern about pollution. And at that time, water really in cities and towns was really polluted. People were drinking their own poop. Um, and I'm not kidding. Yeah. And people thought, you know, soaking in this can't be good for us. And that association with disease also came up. Doctors began thinking, oh, water, hot water in particular, can cause your pores to open and the miasma of the air and all the bad things can come in. It was also closely associated with syphilis, which if you know the timing and you know a little bit about syphilis, it's a new world disease. It is. And it was coming over. It was something that people had never seen before. And this is what sparked the downfall of bathing. One of the things that sparked the downfall of bathing. But as I said, face and hand washing were still quite important. So they, they didn't neglect themselves completely um, as far as cleaning themselves. They also had a bit of a um, substitute for proper bathing that the Tudor Stuart bath was really wearing clean white underclothes. So clean white linen shirts and cuffs and tunics and under things um, were considered to keep you clean. That you're, you're bathing by wearing clothes that were washed frequently. And so having those clean white cuffs were really important to your standing in society because if you were, they were dirty, then people thought you were dirty. That didn't last forever, fortunately. <laughs> A better understanding of medicine and hygiene starting in the mid-18th century led to the return of baths. People started wanting to clear out their pores of all the gunk that was accumulating and get a little bit cleaner, better smelling. And they started at first with cold baths, um, which led to the this Victorian idea of sea bathing and even salt water drinking. At one point, the, the craze got so... So insane for, for sea bathing and lake bathing that people start, thought, well, if I drink the seawater, this will make me even healthier. <laughs> it yeah, doesn't work idea. that way. <laughs> um, and one of my sources for this podcast is a documentary um, by Lucy Worsley, and she tries out a lot of this crazy stuff from old periods. And it's really fun to watch her do the sea bath, and then she drinks seawater and makes the worst face in the world. Um, As you would. So, why was it coming back? Not just better understanding of medicine, but cleaner water. People were getting piped water. They were no longer drinking feces. Water pressure was still being created through gravity, so it wasn't super reliable. So they really couldn't get the daily bath in. I'm sorry to interject here. Oh, go ahead. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the water pressure and the piping of clean water. These weren't issues for Romans, actually. They yeah. built incredible waterworks to essentially ensure a fresh, clean supply of water to their cities. Um, they did use gravity, but if they needed to, they could also use artificial pumps to get, get pressure up and bring it to uh, locations. So that's why you don't have the same sort of filthy water situation that, that Rome had, or that the, yeah, these the medieval cities had. Medieval Rome, cities. Uh, the Romans <laughs> did not have that problem. It's sort of a, 
backward step in hygiene yep. and and infrastructure there. Um, so bathing also became kind of trendy in the 19th century. Um, a, a Regency sort of, I guess I can call him a men's fashion icon, um, Beau Brummel, was advocated bathing every single day instead of wearing all the perfumes that, that guys were wearing to make themselves smell good. Not everybody hopped on the bandwagon as, as quickly as Beau Rummel, but people did start bathing more and more. And during this period, it, it was stress on having good soap, using brushes, and finally bathing came into the home with bathtubs during this period, though for a long time these were really filled by hand and people would have to haul water in. But eventually, everyday bathing started to become the norm. And you can kind of trace this to the advent of plumbing. Um, in the 20s, by the 20s, urban homes were beginning to be were plumbed. By the 40s, more rural areas had access. And so in that first part of the 20th century, bathing every day wasn't normal. But now it is. Because now we all have plumbing in our homes, hopefully. Hopefully. We, we hope that we all do. Um, so Stephen, you mentioned teeth brushing yes. earlier, and I have a little bit about teeth brushing in the Tudor period and forward. So Tudors clean their teeth with, with water and salt using like, and rosemary using like twigs, but it wasn't real good because unlike a lot of their ancestors, they were having a much in many ways, it's not a very modern diet, but in terms of sugar intake, it was a very it was modern diet. Yes. It was increasing. It was much more like what we have today. And as you know, the more sugar you eat, the, the worse off your teeth are, and yep. you really need to take care of them, and they weren't doing a good job. And so they have all these people with black teeth. Elizabeth I had, was described as having black teeth. Other cleaners that were popular, salt baking soda. Eventually, um, the first toothbrushes came about with, with bristles made of horse hair or, or pig hair. But still, for a long time, false teeth were a big popular thing because, because people just didn't take care of their out. teeth. Yeah. They brought it out. Um, we all have heard the rumors of George Washington and his wooden teeth. And that's why he didn't smile. I don't, that's not really why. No, he, he didn't, didn't smile. He just smudgingly. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just to him. Put it blunt. But um, he did have a set of ivory teeth. Yes, he did have false teeth um, made of bone. He did have five hands. lots of false teeth. Um, um not wood, though. Never wood. No, not wood. They would be terrible. Um false teeth you you wanted ivory because yeah. that would that's actually Ivory bone. or um, uh if you really were springing for a pair, one in eight from human teeth. Yes. Um another common source. It was another common and selling people selling one's teeth. Or selling dead people's teeth was kind of a, a black market item, or even not so black market, um, for a long time. And there is a really interesting, um, to divert you to a different podcast, um, a BBC Extra podcast episode that was about the Battle of Waterloo and about Napoleon. And after battles, people would come, basically comb the, the 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 battlefield and find all these young men with strong teeth and take their teeth and out of the dead guy's head. Yep. Yeah, the teeth that, were uh, teeth were valuable. Hence that dude in Les Yeah, yeah. Uh, how he makes his fortune. 
Yep. Pretty gross. Um, but that's what they did. Thank goodness we have pro- proper dental care now. Proper dental and you can get, and you uh, can get, get false yeah, yeah, and you can get false teeth that are not made of ivory or dead people's teeth. Yeah, proper um, teeth. In fact, I know I have to know my dad has a has a uh, implant. It's a proper not a denture. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't tell him about this episode. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. He doesn't care. Alright. It happens. It's, it's yeah, it happens. Um, so, to move on to another hygiene item, soap. So, yes. as you've mentioned before, soap really wasn't a big thing back then. It was not a big thing back um, then. Especially uh, in ancient times, the lye would have been used to make concrete, not soap. Not soap. And, um... um you know, animal fat to make candles, and uh, it was the oil, it was oil basically. A lot of times, olive oil would be what you would use to clean yourself yeah. with. But eventually, people did make soap with with lye, with with wood ash boiled with animal or vegetable fat. Um, and for a long time, this lye soap was used to wash clothes. Um, but can you guess what they used? To bleach their lovely white linens and their lovely white. Was it clothes. pee? <laughs> it was pee! It was the pee comes Took a page back. from the Romans. Um, All that yeah. ammonia, basically. It's All that ammonia. A couple other interesting items I came up with. There is, and, and this one of my sources basically mentioned this is probably an apocryphal story that soap got its name from Mount Sapo in Rome. I don't think so. So if you hear this, this is something that goes around, but no. Because as you just said, the Romans really didn't use soap. Um, But people seem to think that. I also found, again, a possibly apocryphal recipe for a Victorian scented dusting powder. So if you want to smell like a Victorian after your bath, um, you need, um, it it takes some unscented talcum powder, cornstarch, and few drops of rosemary or a ro- rosemary few drop of rose or jasmine essential oil so does basically you can buy these powders in the store you don't really need you to buy need them to but you can get a rose scented one and you can feel, feel victorian. victorian another bathing associated item that i was curious about i didn't find a whole lot of history on it but i i wondered for the longest time, why is it called shampoo? The stuff we put on our heads. <laughs> and Stephen had come up with his alternate uh, idea. Do you want to share it? Oh, sure. It's, it's this idea for for a very humorous, ton-in-cheek sh- uh, short story I want to one day write. That's called shampoo because it's the poo of the Shan Beast, a.k.a. the uh, badger seal. Uh, and I created this backstory of this, this exotic Arctic creature that's that's herded and protected by uh, by the Arctic people, um, and they collect its droppings, which they refi- which they uh, refined into shampoo. Uh, <laughs> it's the name. It's the name. So who of the sham? Who of the sham? This is what we're gonna tell our kid one day, and they're gonna believe it yeah, until absolutely. Be until hilarious. they're um, disabused of this, this <laughs> not, notion. So. Um, but as it turns out, it's not the poo of the sham beast. Aww. Why is it called shampoo? Well, the origin it says from Anglo-Indian shampoo to massage. This, this is the verb I found um, from the Hindi shampoo, 
which means something like to press or knead muscles. It also the the etymology also found from um, etymology online was that the 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 first meaning of wash the hair was recorded in 1860, but the same site had shampoo noun soap for shampooing in 1866. So close dates, but not quite precise. We can't 100% trust them. But basically, Victorian era, people were having shampoo. And I th- always thought shampoo doesn't sound like an English word because it's not. It's not. It's Hindi. It's Hindi. There you have it. There you have it. The more you know, now you can be educated when you take your bath. Other news, we are now on Stitcher. So if you are interested in giving us some feedback, you can visit 100centuries.com. And that's all the words. words. Um, Spelled out 100, not the numbers. Um, You could also leave us some feedback on iTunes or on Stitcher. Stitcher. All right. So this is 100 Centuries, signing off. See you next time.